going to talk about photography this week. I don't know exactly what. I, I think some gear will be involved, but we're going to try not to talk about cameras. I have Jason Ng here to do it. Hey, Jason. Hello. How are you? Good. You were here before. Need no introduction, but we'll give you one anyway. Uh, Jason Ng from Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> yeah, Jason's a photographer. Uh, he, he does it for work. How do you describe your style of photography, Jason? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily style, but I've been shooting clothing and I guess lifestyle for a better part of 12 years. And um, yeah, I run a studio and been <laughs> working on and off, um, sometimes with Tyler, <laughs> sometimes not, um, has been around for a long time. It's true. Uh, it's stylish, stylish stuff. You don't post enough on Instagram, so I can't point people to it. So uh, there'll be a link to your website in the show notes. But yeah, Jason shoots great fashion-y stuff, especially. Um, cameras are great. They're getting a little bit boring. But lighting, um, actually lenses are moving quickly as well. Audio is moving quickly. There's a bunch of stuff that's still insanely fast moving. And I feel like I can't update it quick enough to feel up to date. Or, or justify it price-wise. Yeah. Because you know something's around the corner. Well, yeah. There's so many things that it's it's very challenging when you invest in these areas because you're like, wow, all this new breakthrough innovation stuff is here today and I'm going to go drop some money on it. And then you do and another line of it comes out next year that blows it all away, which is really fun and then also a little bit frustrating because it doesn't, it didn't used to move that quickly. You know, you would go and buy your pro photo kit that you'd then shoot on for 20 years. And I don't think it's like that anymore. No, and it's it's funny that you say that because probably about, well, I guess last year, I'd, I, I was walking through the store and I saw the Profoto B10 kit and it was the battery-powered small pack, but it was with the addition of continuous light um, by color. So you could change it from tungsten to daylight, 3200 yeah, to... Warm or cool. Yeah, warm or cool. And um, I thought, wow, what a game changer as far as, uh, you know, very fit in the top of your backpack lighting kits. And um, in in the last month, I, I mean, just even as of earlier today, we, we talked about RGB um, lights and, you know, that's the game changer. And, and now this... This this six thousand dollars I was planning to spend on these other lights is 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 maybe not um, the right choice because well, you know, are they going to release the same thing in, in different? Because Profoto even has kind of taken the approach like maybe like Canon has, where they would release something and it would stick for three, four, five years, and even that company has been updating every six months. It seems like I mean they 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 drop. Well, a bigger, a faster. The heat uh, is on, though. Right. They don't have their secure position anymore. Right. And I feel like that a great place to start is setting some expectations of everyone else that may not come from the same world of us. Of, I used to think of good lights as costing at least $1,500 to $2,000 per light. That's what it took to have a professional light to me. And I don't think n- new people look at it like that at all. They see $1,000 and they're like, that's the most expensive light I could ever hope to buy. I will never spend more than right. $1,100 because there are so many great options under $1,000 right. now. It's that, like, so let's set that context a little bit that we probably still, or I still see it through that lens of that everything under $1,000, it's amazing what they're able to do for that price point. 
Right. Yeah. And the same goes for like most of the gear. I mean, everything. I mean, even if you take it to something like a gimbal, what was four years ago and what's now for $700 or you know, I yeah, well, mean, you, you need a steady cam. So you're spending the salary of an operator. And now you have a gimbal. Uh, I feel like everything has moved at that speed uh, because of the introduction to video to the SLR. I mean, which happened a long time ago now, but I mean, it's brought the kit. Still feels new. Yeah, it it brought the like a, a serious kit to a small size and a small price point, which is amazing for any, anybody entering now. I mean, like you say, uh, you get get these companies like Godox, and I mean, you can buy anything uh, now for a fraction of the of the price, and it really, you know, stepping backwards to what we were just talking about in Profoto, it's like you could buy a $20,000 pack two years ago and that was should have been the be-all end-all but now Flash isn't uh, you know I mean Flash isn't the end-all because it's just not and Godox is a great example because I haven't bought any Godox yet do you have anything? I think I have a, like a, a small light panel that yeah. you know that maybe one of those camcorder style batteries right. fit onto and I, I haven't tried any of it um, for anybody that hasn't looked into it already it's uh, it's um especially taking over the flash world. They also have continuous lights, but they're very affordable, but definitely better made. Like it feels, sometimes it feels like a photo in a lot of ways. Right. And I know on their new on-camera flash, they knocked off the pro photo version so closely that they are being sued. There's a lawsuit with right. pro photo saying like, Hey, you just stole our design. And as a consumer, it's hard to resist. Like, it's like buying a knockoff designer furniture. Do you want to go spend $3,000 on your Herman Miller chair or do you want to spend $300 on a very similar version from uh, right. you know, the mall? And the price point is such a huge difference. Like it's, it's actually, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it, it's a difference between $100 and $5,000 sometimes like uh, for, for particular items. And I mean, I just I just spent some time in in Asia, and I was in Hong Kong, and I mean, to go through a cinema store there. I mean, we're in a city where you don't necessarily get to see everything all of the time because we we don't have rental houses that support all of that. Yeah, you know, all the not many things, cities do. There's, of, on, there's only a few per country, right? And um, I mean, I got to put my hands on some really big things, whether it be, you know, the, the the titanium tubes that you were talking about. I mean, to walk into a store and see stuff like that or, you know, flexible lighting that attaches to one another that's ballast controlled and color temperature. I mean, those things you just don't see every day. But um, I, I walked through a Godox store and um, or maybe it wasn't a oh, store. Okay. I would say it was more like a, uh, a store that exclusively carried their product. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, their line is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have from A to Z, you can buy a, a flash for your phone. Um, that's really nice. Yeah. Uh, it, it doubles as a, as a solid aluminum case for the entire phone. But it's 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 just truly amazing what the company has done. I mean, and on that note, I mean, I feel like if anybody was going to compete with Profoto way back when, it was like you know maybe Ellen Chrome or something like that. Not a, a left field, yeah, actually, you know, Chinese company to come out. Now, where is Ellen Chrome? Like, I'm, I don't think about them anymore. Really. Right, yeah. right, and they've always been kind of a B brand in my mind mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. No, no good. Well, the, one. Pr- the price was a little less. Yeah, it was probably half of what Profoto yeah. was or something. Also, let's let's set up Profoto in the in the industry. I mean, they have always been strobes. They never really had a continuous. They they actually do. They they, they do now, but they didn't. 
No, they have for a long time. Um, oh. They've had um, they, they've got something called the Pro HMI, and it adapts to all of their um, existing mounts. But oh, okay. that's been out for about I yeah. think eight years. And yeah. there's a Pro Tungsten as well that works the same way. But it absolutely was what you would expect to see if you walk into a legit studio. Like if this if the studio looks nice from the outside, you kind of know what you're going to see on the inside. And I think that's that's shifting quickly. I think another part of it is that a lot of lighting is moving to continuous. I, I think you've been using a lot more continuous lately. You were just showing me a sample you used a ridiculously small RGB light on today. Right, yeah. So I just um, got some tiny, they're called Bowling Vlogger V1s, and uh, which is kind of hilarious. But uh, I saw it and the construction was all aluminum. It had really beautiful hardware and something like that. I just, I mean... Uh, just from a design perspective, I have to touch it and pick it up. So, and and when I did, I was pleasantly surprised at this, you know, uh, LED that maybe um, it's a centim- the size of like an extra large phone. Yeah, with a with a three hour battery life and <laughs> an RGB capability. And yeah. so, I mean, I think I paid one hundred and twelve dollars or something like that each. And so I bought four of them, and um, they powered my. Uh, my last photo shoot, which was maybe five or six hours long, and I mean, I didn't, I turned them off between shots. So, but it, and in the end, were you using all four or just one of them, or um, two in two, yeah. two at most, and, and and were they handheld or like uh... b- both handheld and 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 mounted? But mm-hmm. I mean, mostly handheld because uh, uh, the subject was moving. So with a small source, if you want to keep your light in the right spot, you've got somebody, you know, right. it's almost like it's the equivalent of having a reflector, but indoors. Well, yeah, this is what you're seeing more and more is that there are, at a bigger scale, is in the cinema world, a lot of the time they're going to have these big flat panels. The ones I really like are light mats that are any size you want, um, about a centimeter thick, and you just see guys running around with them. They got the battery pack on their back. They're just holding this big, flat LED and following the talent. So there's just a moving window. There's a moving whatever it is you want. All of a sudden, your light is anything you want it to be. You don't have to put lights in all those places. You just got a dude running with a giant light source that's as bright as you want it to be. That's amazing. And it's happening. that, That is the new reality. Yeah, it is. It's almost it is the the replacement of the assistant with the reflector. Like he doesn't now have to find the light; he just has to point it. He is the light. Yeah, soon he'll be wearing a bodysuit. Actually, that'd be kind of cool. Just get a bunch of those LED strips and make them wear it like a green screen suit, and they're just walking around glowing. I don't think that you, you could get some weird catch lights, but pay assistants enough to do <laughs> that, or you'd need some pretty tall people too. I guess the other thing I mean that I've been loving lately this week, I was reviewing the uh, Aperture three hundred D. Mark II, which that is now my favorite light. Uh, because the thing that was really missing for the last little while is powerful output in affordable continuous light. You know, you would have to go buy giant cinema multiple Ks. Right. Ari's super yeah. ballast, special cord. Yeah. There, you have to plug it into your dryer outlet or, right. <laughs> or more realistically, a generator. And well, actually, so I'm not sure how much power the equivalent would be taking of these apertures. We're also, this is part of the challenge of this transition is our language of how bright lights are has totally fallen apart because we used to talk about it in terms of watts. You know, I know what a 1K looks like. That doesn't matter anymore. That's not useful. And I don't, I haven't replaced it with any standard of what Lux or Lumens 
actually translate to. Right. And so would you, would you say that that's a, is that a thing? Do people, do people rate that when they review? Yeah, it's becoming a thing. But I, even though I have read Wikipedia three or four times and watched other people's explainers three or four times, it's not sticking. All right, here's my quick Google answer. Lumens are how much light is given off. Lux is how bright your surface will be. And Candela, which we didn't talk about, measures the visible intensity from the light source. But see, that's the problem. I just read that, and it's still already slipping away. Like, I'm not getting it. Right. I think the lumens is the important one. Yeah. That's the one that everybody's using lately. Right. Because, I mean, I've never... I mean, yeah. <laughs> so everybody at home, go Google lumens on your own, because we right. will not solve the problem for you here and today. Let's, let's try and uh, have a move forward to not use the Lux uh, measurement. Well, so I, I love this idea. We just need to get to the point where you start to understand the rating of it and it's on the box and when you go buy a light you're like oh i I get it i see this number of lumens and i know what that's gonna look like because you until you've internalized those numbers they stay meaningless you know you have to know what the one at home is doing that you use all the time well and it's funny because even with flash i mean that's how you kind of you know that was the baseline i mean forever it was like 700 watts or 600 watts let's say five to 700 was the was the average mono head that you would buy and that one light could be your key light your background light whatever it it would double as everything it would be quite a bit of power if you needed more than that you'd be lighting something pretty big if you were upwards a thousand for a single head but then it got weird because uh with alien bees anyway they would rate them at they're like we have more efficient strobes so the number we're going to give you isn't the actual output but that's what we think it is equivalent to <laughs> so it, but th- this complication has been happening for a while maybe we just never had a good measurement and <laughs> finally yeah that's uh, true. you know lumens is hopefully going to save us all from ourselves but uh anyway i want to get back to the aperture 300 d2 um okay what the, what's really cool about this is all of a sudden we can have a crazy bright light it's not taking a lot of power out of your wall it's built to a truly professional quality like it feels it feels to me as good as Profoto lights do. Right. And in some cases, even better. Like Profoto is very, very, very basic in their design. And if you've ever opened up a, like a DJI product, I would say that I've never, I've never unboxed an aperture light. But when I touch it and you're feeling the dials and you're <clears> feeling the handles and the knobs, all of that stuff feels to 100%. They have taken a lot of time to design something really nice. And yeah. right down to the packaging and everything that mm-hmm. it fits in. Yeah, exactly. That's That experience actually really matters, especially when you are spending quite a bit of money on it. I mean, I was saying earlier how a thousand bucks isn't that expensive, but it is. It's a lot of money and you want it to be something great that's going to last and that is going to be enjoyable to use the whole time. So the fact that they've put that effort into something that is... It, it, it almost feels like when a, a company takes the time to, to properly package and design everything that you're touching and looking at, they've, they've had extra time almost to, to say, yes, um, we're going to give you the maximum product. And, and we didn't just put this into a cardboard box and your experience is full from start to finish. And I really, I, I, I really can't say enough about stuff that you buy and you really feel like you've gotten you're like i i got a good deal on this no matter what i paid because of how beautiful everything feels when i touch it and how well it works well i'm sure the calculation is how much more you're willing to pay because the box is that much better and i I think that is the apple revolution uh you know 
Apple gets a lot of credit, but they probably always deserve a little bit more for how they shaped consumer products today. Yeah. Everybody is looking at Apple for everything they do. And I think I think maybe it's been it's been copied to the point that now people are copying copies of the copy, but like having you know, just simple graphics on the front of the box and it's mostly white and it's not just a really long list of features. We take it for granted right. now. But I, I almost I almost think that it's like it's almost boring now to open up an Apple <laughs> product in comparison to some other things like you know, like an aperture or these new little bowling lights that yeah. I bought. I mean or, yeah, DJI you were saying DJI yeah, does a great yeah. job. The fact that you keep using the box, like those hard cases. Yes. Later. It comes in something that's completely usable. Yeah. Uh, also Deity, which is right. connected to Aperture, they do their audio stuff. Uh, it comes with like a little Pelican case for nice. the mic. The mic that you're speaking into right now, which is the S Mic Two, it uh, comes in a perfect hard case that makes it feel like a two thousand dollar microphone. You're like, this is precious because right. the case will protect it from bullets. And you uh, you actually have to wonder what the cost difference in something like that is. I mean, can they spend, at the end of the day, are they spending four more dollars to make you feel like you've... You, <laughs> you, you spent 400 yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to go buy the case and cut out the foam, screw it up, and figure out else what, what else is supposed to go in the case with it. Yeah, you should see the bags I have for my Alien B lights. They're just, they're just sacks. Because that's all we expected uh, back then, you know? Uh, it looks like sh- reusable shopping bags. Right. And I paid extra for those it didn't come with right. the lights they were probably only seven dollars each but <laughs> yeah totally but that just wouldn't really happen right now actually i haven't taken a good look at what alien is offering right now i bet they're still something interesting for the time i'm sure they've moved forward sure but uh, I, I i would say that they did uh, what was the what was their their battery the vagabond yes um i mean when lithium sort of came out when lithium came out they they jumped right on that and and had this small pack of 18650s like everyone else that you know was a good amount of laptop supply i think that thing would run a laptop for f- 4 hours on set which is a sizable amount for you know a little 200 dollar mm-hmm. um, power bank yeah i was really excited about those batteries and they came out so i have the i bought the old one and then i also bought the new one i think they're awesome in in regards to that have you ever seen the um River EcoFlow battery pack. Never heard of that. Oh, it's probably the most beautiful battery pack. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I've I, never I, considered a battery pack to be beautiful, but yeah, it's um, it's a very. They made something that they took it from the realm of um, a car jumping battery pack because that's what everybody knows it to look like. It should be black with some orange outlets and um, and um, maybe have a light on it. But they made a, a four. Or two, I think it's two or four USB. Um, port USB-C uh, charging hub station with two 120, 110 outlets on the back. And um, to, the touch of it is really nice. I mean, um, it's stand-mountable. It's got a solar panel. You can buy it with the, the, the case. It's it's really, if, you, if you're after a portable battery solution, look at the River EcoFlow. And I know that they, they discontinued the last one and they've got a new one coming out, but it's it's a... It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It kind of looks like a, a radio that people like uh, that you bring onto a work site. Yeah, it almost looks like a cooler, a, a, a small <laughs> yeah. drink cooler or something. Yeah, you don't really know what you do with it, but I see the plugs. That's that's pretty great. And how long does this go? It has it has it's 
I think it has 4018650s in it, which are the standard. You, you memorize battery part numbers? Well, is this, I, am I the only one that doesn't know batteries by their <laughs> the, serial the, number? The, the, the battery that's in everything now, there's a, there's a new version of it, but it's it's literally the battery that's in a DeWalt drill and the same battery that's in a Tesla car. Okay. Um, in what way? I, tell, you're... You're telling me stuff I have. Well, okay. You're acting like I would know this, but I absolutely do not. Okay, know well, this. fair enough. I, I'm also the type of person that will take something apart. Um, so you took about your Tesla. And, yes, uh, I, I. If you look at an, uh, an, if you take apart a laptop battery, not an Apple one, anything else, anything that comes with a pack, it's probably an 18650 battery, and that's like um, it was the battery revolution. People were building battery walls in California. If you're DIYing an electric car or a power and, bank. Well, and what does the number represent? Is it the like chemical ratio, or is it the internal structure of the uh, cells? I, I, or, like, I what, couldn't tell you what the what. Like, the, what would make one of those number the same as the other one that is that number? Because obviously they come in different shapes and sizes. No, 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 no. An eighteen six fifty is like a designation, like a AAA or a AA. Oh. So it's the size of a battery, and okay. so any charging bank. If you bought a if you bought a phone charging bank, it probably has one or two of those batteries. I know this is totally random, use, useless. <laughs> no, that's information. okay. My uh, the show notes are going to be really weird for this one. My my Google history is is going to be all. Oh, up. this looks like a AAA battery, but different, bigger. It's more okay. like one of those. It's more like a double sized CR two. Okay, this is good. I'm learning, but it's in everything. Um, okay, I'm learning some things. What else can you tell me that I don't know about? So I need to go buy this uh, River Portable. Yeah, power the River Eagle Flow. If and, even, uh, I don't know, I haven't actually looked at the a rate. pack of eighteen six fifty batteries. <laughs> right. Actually, this brings me to another related topic to all this that we were, we were kind of talking about and hinting at: buying gear. Um, and when do you when do you stop buying gear? It's an eternal question. I tried to do a whole episode on it once, but. Why is it that we are still buying new stuff after doing this for more than a decade? Why haven't we landed on the the things that we actually can just get things done with? Because I do see photographers out there that you can tell that lens has been around for more than 15 years. And the camera body, like they use it until it dies before they buy a new one. Uh, we don't seem to do that. Is that. Is it a flaw because we are consumers or are we actually giving ourselves a competitive advantage as creators by staying up to date what do you think uh i think that we're i think that we're trying to stay up to date i mean i don't think there's i don't think heads above water with the gear yeah i don't think that you um i don't think that you've ever worn the black off of the bottom of a cannon have you no i well i do but that's because i because i wear them (laughs) right because i wear them daily but uh yeah i i i do where yeah, I use my gear pretty heavily, and I replace shutters. I think there's also I think there's also uh, I mean the the people that you see with cameras like that are generally I mean I remember seeing journalists that had yes. no paint on their cameras. I was and going I, to say journalists, I, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. But um, I don't think I'd be willing to take a camera that far. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, a camera is almost like uh, an Apple laptop. Now I get I personally sell my stuff after a year and a half. And that's generally enough return to get, you know, 40 or 60% of my yeah. money back. And, you know, you put an X amount of dollars to get the new one. It's yeah. just, it's like the, 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 the warranty lease back program at the dealership. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that's good advice in general that, uh, I don't know about a year and a half. That feels a little fast for me. I think you can, right? like, if, if, you, wa- if you want to move quickly a year and a half, I think a lot of people 
can be pretty comfortable with like two. I, I probably I don't replace important stuff faster than about two or three years. Yeah, true. That's probably true. But maybe yeah, just, it's, it's not like you'd buy a lens every two years. But a, yeah. but a body yeah, lenses will last. Hopefully five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as it, I'm just thinking, I was going to say like, oh yeah, my two main lenses have lasted a long time. But that's sort of not true. I broke a seventy to two hundred at one point, which is like the most expensive lens we have, and I smashed it. And uh, so the version we have of that is relatively new, and it kind of actually fell apart. There was a total defect in my seventy two hundred, like the ex- the good Canon one. Uh, all the screws just came out on their own, like just kept getting looser and looser until one of them. And did it split in half, sort of thing, or no? They just one of them is just not in there anymore. I tightened them all and eventually sent it in. Canon fixed it up. Right. Yeah, I don't think I've ever broken a lens. I've sent things in for servicing because of non-sharpness, but I've been lucky enough to not drop or have something fall lucky off of a camera. Lucky you. Um, but yeah, and then the 20, 24 to 70 that we use all the time. Um, I was using the 24 to 105 before that, and so it's not, it's relatively new. It's like three or four years old. Right. Yeah, I guess that's new. It's one of those things, I mean, because now things are evolving so fast, it's so easy to go online and look at all of the greatest stuff and see how that can just fit into your life absolutely perfectly. But but do you need it? And we have to think, I mean, if we would have bought, I mean, I bought Profoto stuff right out of school that I still use. So I can say, well, I paid a lot of money for stuff that lasted 12 years. And 12 years is a long life for some things. And I don't even think I've changed any um, flash bulbs. I've changed a bazillion modeling lights. But um, if I would have broken down and bought HMI lights when I'd wanted to, I probably would still use those. Um, and that would have been about seven years ago, I would say. But the, the challenge is you are always hunting for for that item. Right. You, that's why you're buying new stuff is looking for the next thing that you're going to look back and you, that you will feel like, how did I ever live without it? Right. Every purchase you're hoping will be that again. And it just usually isn't. Uh, so it, it makes me think of listening to, yeah, I don't know, I think of uh, like watching tutorials. So, you know, watching Photoshop tutorials. I still watch them today, even though most of the information in it is stuff I already know. But I watch all these hours and hours of tutorials waiting for that one nugget that's going to change <laughs> yes. my life. Yes. And it's there. There's yeah. always that thing. There's those things that you're like, I never knew that. And all of a sudden I can do everything completely yeah. differently. But you have to sift. Yeah. And in the consumer world, that means you have to buy. <laughs> you have to right. buy a bunch of crap that maybe isn't really what you need, hoping you're going to find that thing that you can't live without. It's almost like um, camera gear has taken the turn towards like H&M clothing. They've made it so affordable. It's like not one thing is $20,000 for the basic items, lights or whatever. Now you can kind of be like, oh, well, yeah, I'll just get one of those. And I mean, you can actually, it's it's kind of nice that you can afford to go and try it. And now, you, you know, you'll probably know a few other people with it. So you can sort of t- take it for a little bit of a test spin before y- you've got it. But then do you need to own everything all the time now? I mean, it's just... It's e- well, okay, that's a, that's a good question. And I still get really frustrated renting. There's a lot of times where I've rented things and had a lot of trouble because I wasn't as familiar with the gear. Uh, I had to learn it kind of the day before or on the job. Right. Or there's an issue with that specific model. I mean, even the aperture lights that I rent. I was shooting a thing in Arizona, and we rented some stuff from the local shop. And the apertures were uh, no, we only got one from the from them, and it worked at about half power or less. It's like oh. 
like most of the LED thing didn't turn on. And I didn't, it was too late. You know, that's what we had. We didn't have time to go back to the shop. So we just had to make it work. And is this, is this the same time that you also had trouble with the slider? Yes. And and what what, what, was was that a maintenance issue or was that a design flaw? It was a bit of both. Uh, No, well, I'm actually not totally sure yet. So what was happening is that as the slider would move, if anybody didn't see this in my Instagram stories, you could see this like chunking, like it would go up, 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 up. It wasn't smooth at all. Turned out there was two separate issues. One was that the bearings on the slider needed to be cleaned and that was making it stick. But then the much bigger issue was that the motorized arc um, that rotates the camera because it not only moves left and right, but the camera is rotating in place as it's moving so oh. that it can keep pointing at the same object. And that was creating the really aggressive stutter. So was it, was it like rubbing against something or was it binding no, it was, or no, it was a, it was a motor right. issue. Right. But I don't really know what it was. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway. Yeah. Same, same job. And then also the Ronin that I rented, um, there wasn't an issue with the actual thing, but it was, it was not really the right choice. And I haven't, it was a Ronin M, which is the, the two handlebar one, like the bigger Ronins. And I have an S at home and it was frustrating. <laughs> like I, I wasn't very good at using it. I kind of forgot that you can't manipulate it as easily because there's no joystick built into it. It has a separate remote control for a second right. person to operate. Anyway, just things that like I had used it before. I'd kind of forgotten about it. I wasn't really comfortable with it. So, Almost everything that I rented that day had some kind of issue that was because it was a rental. And I even own some of that stuff, and I don't have that issue when I own it because I, I know what I'm getting into before I arrive. It almost makes you want to take things out the day before and make it standard practice to make sure that everything's working Yeah, um, that one day ahead of time. Yeah, but I even have a hard time justifying every, every single rental is like, I'm just giving away another hundred dollars from this job right to someone else right well yeah but on the opposite side of that i mean especially in that scenario where you're traveling do you you know pay that hundred dollars i mean i guess at the end of the day if you pay that hundred dollars to put a pelican on the plane and take your stuff with you (laughs) it it may make sense yeah Uh, i I don't know i yeah it depends when you're how far you're traveling if i'm driving somewhere i'm going to bring a lot more of my stuff right um yeah i guess that's all Part of it, though, do you travel a lot? Do you not travel? Right. If you yeah. are traveling, you got to rent it no matter what. But uh, that's that's funny too because um, I'd rented a, a lens uh, about a month ago, and I mean, I thought at first I was having problems with the camera, and you know, it was just straight the lens that wasn't focusing. And um, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than that than watching 20 files come in that you just can't seem <laughs> to get focused, and automatically yeah. you just assume that it's your own fault because, of course, all the time, you know, whether it be you know whoever you're shooting or your you know your art director or client yeah, that's, that's saying the, if the client's like, this there, sharp. This it is sharp. your fault. Yes, you absolutely, because you rented the lens, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, that's the struggle. Yeah, you're pretty much the crash pad for anything bad that could possibly happen on yeah. a set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then there's the the other side of buying stuff that, you know, you end up with just piles of it. Like, I always have this feeling of that gear is taking over my life. And it's funny because I have, I definitely have more gear than I ever used to. 
it's funny we're surrounded by all these light stands right now. Like they're it's it's like it, the gear is closing in on me. But the but these light stands are merely um keeping <laughs> keeping the sound in or 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 <laughs> calm as to where we are. So it's not like you've got any fancy yeah, lights yeah, yeah. going on. But I I feel like this is a this is a nice place when you've got um when you've got stuff to use. I mean like. You know, we're we're sitting here looking at two grip arms that are holding two blankets, and um, essentially, that's uh, I, I feel like that's a nice place because you have that <laughs> you have that extra stance right. to just throw something up and say, "Hey, this is this is where we're working right now, and we're going to record this, and I want the sound to be good, and uh, that's what it takes." But uh, it, it's nice to see you know grip arms being used for <laughs> everything. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes they're a clothing rack as well. <laughs> right, uh, it's it's very handy. This episode is brought to you by Spark Camera, my and your favorite way to edit videos on your iPhone. It's a simple iOS app that allows you to both record in, in a ridiculously simple way. Like it doesn't feel like a camera interface. It feels more like Instagram stories, really. You press, you record, that's it. And then a very simple editing interface where clips have just simple handles to make them longer or shorter. You can add music. You can do basic transitions, all the simple things you need to tell a story quickly. But you might be wondering, where are all the complicated features that I love to deeply dive into when I'm using my cell phone? They're not there, in a good way. Uh, there, there are other great editing apps on the iPhone. There's other ones that I use occasionally if I want to get much more involved and spend some serious time. But you know what I love Spark Camera for? I'm able to turn around a video edit in just a few minutes. Like, no time at all. I think about it, I start recording, and I'm done always within less than like about 10 minutes maximum. And this is how I'm able to edit these vlog style Instagram stories so quickly. So if this is interesting to you, go to sparkcamera.com slash Stallman and uh, let them know you appreciate them supporting the show and go exercise your creative muscles by doing some quick video edits today. Sparkcamera.com slash Stallman. Thanks again to Spark Camera for supporting the show. Okay, let's change gears. I'm very excited. I don't remember if I've talked about this on the show. I know I've at least on Instagram stories. I'm very excited about the future of artificial intelligence replacing us as retouchers. So we don't have to open Photoshop anymore. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but here, here's the more nuanced version. There are a lot of apps on my phone that do a much more intelligent job of making huge changes to a photo really quickly that are surprisingly accurate, like very complex manipulations that um, are imperfect, but they're incredibly realistic. And what's missing is a professional version of it. So if I knew how to design an app, that's what, that's the app I'd be building right now is a professional AI retouching app. Right. Because like you've tried the, the uh, face app, right? Where you can like make you look old. Yeah. That kind of retouching, you need to be a real artist to do. We can't, we're not skilled enough to make somebody look old in the way that app does. Right. And only a computer can do it. What I need my AI retoucher to do is the tiniest fraction of that. I just needed to take off the worst blemishes and clean up the skin without removing any of the texture. And, you know, like it's super simple stuff that I spend most of my time retouching doing. And I want a computer to do it for me. You know, it's funny that you say that because yesterday I was sitting beside a makeup artist who had used two different apps to retouch a photo. And she walked me through it and I actually couldn't believe 
how good it was yeah. for, for what it was. <laughs> I mean, it blew me away. And it was like, oh, well, now I'm just going to bring it into, you know, whatever, Facetune 2. Yeah, and yeah that. Facetune 2 and, uh, and uh, FaceApp. Those are the crazy ones right now. Yeah, and um, I mean, the job that it did in five seconds, I mean, I paid, I used to pay 15 or $20 an image to have somebody do that just uh, for time's sake. And now anybody with a phone can do that in seconds. But the huge problem is that there's no parameters, right? Some of them you can dial back, some of them you can't. But you can't say, like, only remove pimples, don't remove scars. Or, like, you know, which is a part of the the process and something that shouldn't be removed. That's the part of the human that should always be there is, like, look, don't go too far, please. Don't turn them into a plastic doll. Just help me take away some of those temporary issues to make them look their best. What we need is a, a plug-in that uh, you brush over the face and say, do this area at yeah. 12% yeah. with you know, leaving texture or whatever that yeah. is. And So there is an app that does this that uh, it's a, I, I can't think of the name right now, but I'm not going to bother because I don't recommend it. I bought it as a plug-in for Photoshop and it's just older. Like it, it's using older technology. It does things the way you do in Photoshop. And I'm shocked that Photoshop is completely behind on this too because we still talk about like Photoshopping an image. But things like FaceApp and Facetune are leapfrogging it, like completely jumping the shark in terms of what you're able to do. And it's actually crazy. It's not, it's, it, it, people, it seems like a toy because that's the application so far. But it, it, it has a, it has stronger applications yeah. for sure. It, it has the technology to take it further. But then that makes me beg the question about, you know, it's funny because as a as I mean, I consider myself to be somewhat fluent in in retouching as far as people and and you know textures and clothes. So, I mean, I was always of the mindset that you would you know you should know what it is you're doing before you tell somebody else to do it. So mm-hmm. I think in order to art direct somebody else as to if you're handing off post, you should know, you know, one, what's involved so you can accurately describe it to that person. Now, if we take... Well, it's easy to say, but we're sitting here not knowing what lumens are as well. So That's true. That's true. <laughs> but we're Because also- there's, always, there's always some level of abstraction. There's always a bunch of things that we don't, we don't understand how the raw images, how the debearing pattern or whatever is right. used to calculate transition from raw to adobe raw or there's there are many steps that we do become removed from and uh, i think it's good to understand as much as you can but right i'm ready for this step to yeah <laughs> get a little you, a little you, more automated you know what's funny though about that is that um you might be able to retouch a you might be able to design an app to retouch skin and sure that's like a pretty simple thing i mean a skin pattern is pretty straight it's pretty standard across the board but uh I don't believe, I think that when it gets to the point where I'll be blown away when it gets to the point when you can remove a wrinkle in a piece of clothing that's folded and has shadow on it with the pattern. It's like the, that's when you've got, you really know you've designed something that's well, smart. There's some really crazy stuff that, okay, so it's, it's also worth understanding what is happening with these apps. So a really good example of it was in a recent Corridor Crew video where they're using FaceApp to do the aging thing. And so they tried, like, what happens if we just draw a crappy face on a whiteboard? Just like, here are eyes, here is a nose, here is a mouth. Age this. And, of course, it does try to. It applies skin around the eyes and little wrinkles under the eyes and smile lines beside the mouth and saggingness under the chin. 
And as you add different layers of it, the AI isn't just, it's not just cleaning up skin. It's looking at an index of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of photos of whatever the, the, the target is. Right. And it's like, I now understand what wrinkly chin. neck skin looks like. Right. I know how to draw it uh, and make the shape fit around whatever shape your face is. So it's, it's doing like 3D illustrations. It's, not, it's doing stuff that is impossible for a non-illustrator like us. Like right. we, I can't draw. Right. I can't draw right. wrinkles. So we talk about other uh, f- uh, programs or filters that can, you know, automatically retouch and you're ready to be there. But do you, do you think that there's a, a point where we should dial it back and and still know these things as a as part of our craft as a photographer? Well, we definitely know photographers that don't incorporate it as part of their workflow and just hire it out um, and can still have careers. I wouldn't choose to have that career. I think I think it's very useful to have it integrated into what you're doing. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I are kind of on the same page that like there is a enough of a reason to, to do it. But it also depends what you're doing because we were just talking about photojournalists. They don't need to know this and they shouldn't because they shouldn't be <laughs> right, uh, right, right, right. Know, <laughs> applying uh, aging <laughs> software to right. their... The, the, there should be a special... Um, if you're a photojournalist, you should only have an exposure slider in your computer at yeah, all yeah, and exactly. your phone yeah. at, all, at all times. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Um, I mean, like, I think you and I are, I mean, you're obviously more technical than I am about knowing what's, what's new and what's out there because that interests you. But I mean, when I first got into this, it was, a, it was about learning it from A to Z. I mean, you kind of wanted to know all facets. And yeah, we didn't know what lumens are, but also for a hundred years, a 1K light was a 1K light. So you know, you were picking up a hot light, it was 1 or 2K. And if you were getting the fancy stuff with a truck, it might be 10 or 25K. Yeah. To, to know everything was a shorter list. For, yeah, ab- absolutely. So I don't know. I think um, I think it's important to know as much as you can. And the basics are, I feel like, always going to be the basics. And if, if we, it, it's interesting what that would do socially if we had a program that automatically retouched faces. I mean, you because we have these movements about how you know, models can't be uh, 14 anymore. They have to be 16. And, you know, Dove released all of that real beauty stuff, which was a big deal, you know, four or five years ago, whenever that was, where, you know... <laughs> whenever you, it was, because we were already forgetting about it? Yeah, we're already forgetting about it. But it was a thing that happened that changed yeah. things. I mean, whether people know it or not, yeah. that, that... Well, and I've argued about it against it a little bit, not what you specifically said. The age thing, I think, is good, moving the age of models up. But uh, I do generally reject the idea of saying all our photos are not retouched. And that's purely positive because the main effect is that you are just more selective about who you're going to hire. And it doesn't really change the body image issues of people looking at it. You're going to hire people with more perfect skin from the start. Anybody with any blemishes is not getting that job. And if you have a little more belly fat, you're also probably not getting that job. Like, they're going to be a lot more selective in the casting because they know they're not going to be retouching it and they still want people to look the same as the not the same as retouched but like it's 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 not real cuz real is is more like the dove campaign and that is a different category that's a different type of movement from the like unretouched fashion right i think 
Yeah, there's there's also a, there's also a difference too. I mean, like as of recent, you've I think you've been working with a lot more real people, and I think you know we're we're also. I mean, I was I guess referring to a more extreme version where maybe a beauty campaign would get more um, shaping of the neck, chin, jawline, and things like that. Whereas, you know, t- taking a picture of a of a guy in a canoe with his family isn't going to get right. the, the same the same. N- tummy tuck that uh that a model is going to have That's... you ever seen the post that happens in beauty videos like commercials because i had no idea until i watched like a breakdown on youtube a while ago and it's it's like just a full vfx <laughs> like they're reconstructing their face right. in 3d and uh it makes sense because that's what you do in a photo but i just had no idea that it was that much uh vfx going on in the tv commercials as well amazing yeah. i mean it's amazing to know that People go through that sort of work for something that's already been shot. Yeah. It's only, I mean, it's only 30 seconds, so throw some money at it and you can make it whatever you want. True enough. Yeah. Anyway, nobody believe what you see because it's all Yeah, fake. it's all lies. Um, but, I mean, I would love to see Adobe get on this. They, I mean, they have the money. Why aren't they the next face app and the next face tune? Um, but just imagine if there was a couple extra slides, a little, a new panel in Lightroom there's like a skin area and it says like blemishes, normalizing color to like bring it all within to a similar tone. And may, I wouldn't really want to say wrinkles. That'd be like pushing it. I'd yeah. only really say like blemishes and complexion. And you can turn that up and down. And then for shooting a wedding, all of a sudden everybody's got like slightly cleaner skin. And you're not opening every file in Photoshop and generating. I mean, every time you open a Photoshop file, you're generating a new 100 megabyte file that's going to have to sit there and you're spending the time waiting for it to open and close and save and all this stuff. I, yeah, and I mean, and we all know that the, the technology's there and Photoshop's powerful enough to do so. I mean, even with the, whatever, what was it, the last Liquify where you could change the shape of eyes, you know, like automatically? Like, Actually, I mean, yeah, yeah, they it, put a bunch it, of it into the Liquify. Thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's already there. It's just not cohesive within the program itself. I mean, everything that is, works. And to have, like, like you were just saying, like, you know, some sort of maybe even luminosity where you're, where you're, layering your new layer on top of mm-hmm. so you can see the difference and maybe turn it off or dial it back or whatever that is the place i really feel how stupid photoshop still is is using the magic selection tool where you click and drag which i use all the time so i'm looking at somebody's leg and i click and drag over the skin color and behind it is a wall a brick wall and I'm dragging the the skin the obvious skin color of a leg, and it all of a sudden is like, did you mean this big section of dark brown, right? Like that is just completely different from the pure white of Anya's leg, right? Like, of course I didn't. There's no no human would ever make that mistake, <laughs> right? And no smart AI would ever make that mistake either. Like, it's so often the way that it creates errors is. Just it's clear that it's not tapping into what we're seeing in iPhone apps, right? And yeah, no, it's true. Trust me, crazy. But but also the I feel like the iPhone apps are pretty standard. I mean, when you do that, I mean, they set you up to. I mean, you place your face within the little circle and yeah, do, do it one way. No, the the fa- the fa- uh, the uh, face app stuff where you can turn your head completely to a profile, right? And it still works. Yeah, true. It's, true, true. It's, get, it's getting really crazy true and same with i mean uh, for anybody that if i haven't said this 10 times i've been watching a lot of corridor lately uh all of their stuff breaking down the deep fake 
algorithm stuff is super interesting. Like deep fakes uh, will become really important by a different name. It won't, the, the main use won't be replacing people's faces, but that ability to perfectly learn and recreate a face is part of something that will become very significant to creative artists very soon. Can you, can you remember the first time that you saw that? I mean, the first time I remember hearing about it was in Jurassic Park, like the first Jurassic Park. There's a scene where they're jumping up into the radiation system and the raptors are coming after her and they pull her up and the stunt double had looked up at the camera. So they did a face swap, but it wasn't, it wasn't a AI based at all. It's just a basic CG thing. Doing it intelligently, I only heard about it this year. It's been like one year. I think for me it was Tron, where they where they made Jeff Jeff Bridges young, right? And I don't know if that was um... that sort of de aging is a different thing. Fair enough. Because oh, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it. I won't pretend to be an expert on it, but it's different. But it's also getting crazy good really fast. So yeah, I mean, the, right now for really for cinema that that makes like anything possible. Anybody could be alive at any time. Another one that blew me away early on was uh, the social network. The twins, I did not question it or spot it or think about it during the movie. Right. I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, they cast twins. That was it. I just fully accepted it. Yeah, amazing. Uh, you had something else you want to talk about. What was that? Oh, um, what was it? Oh, we were talking about storage solutions a couple of weeks ago. And um, I know that I don't have an overly complicated system. <laughs> I uh, I bought, I bought have an old Mac tower and it holds a ton of drives and drives are super cheap. The large 3.5s and, you know, I mean, you can raid those uh, those big drives. And I think I've got, you know, 32 terabytes in the machine at the moment, which um is is enough well yeah i i don't want to spend too long on it because i feel like not that many people are struggling with more than 10 terabytes of data trying to figure out what to do with it i'm just struggling with it lately and it's it's that i had yeah i had to buy new drives because i filled up some old ones and all i've been doing is buying portable usb drives and sticking them in a big pile it's right beside me right now (laughs) and uh i need a much bigger solution but it becomes so expensive that i haven't wanted to I wanted to invest the money. I mean, to to buy enough memory for it to be worth it, you know, so you got to buy a RAID. And if you're RAIDing it, you're also losing a bunch of the storage. So if you buy 50 terabytes, 100 terabytes, you're losing 20 to 30, depending on what kind of efficiency your RAID's running at. And not only that, but you're you're also you can't you, you buying too much is a mistake because it gets cheaper and they get bigger. Right. So if you if you think you're buying for the future, I mean, you, you, there's no such thing as saying, "Well, well, yeah." I, I thought will I never bought, need an, I I'll never bought need another future, hard drive. My my raid over here beside me, the Synology. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm future proofing a bit. It's got four uh, four terabyte drives in it. That's sixteen terabytes. You can buy a single sixteen terabyte drive right. now, and. I don't know. Like that's the that's the frustration. So then you also have to buy the box. But then I think about it. I'm like, okay, so if I go and buy a bunch of twelve or fourteen terabyte drives for that, I'm still spending like two thousand dollars, and I'm only getting thirty or forty terabytes out of it or less. It's the one. It's the one problem that may never be solved. But I mean, you say that um, not many people will be running into that. But I mean, if if you're starting out with video and you're shooting in proper resolution and you've got hours and hours and hours of footage you know daily or 
you know, a couple times a week. Um, that's why I mean, I don't think many people are like, yeah, I know there's some people listening doing it, but. Okay. So if you were just, if you were just starting out, what would you do? If you, uh, if you, if you. Just don't start. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're ahead. Small USB drives in large stacks. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really becomes a challenge once you're worrying about holding on to all this data. You know, if you're able to actually keep up with sorting it, it's not as, as big of a problem. We used to, I think, more efficiently delete all of our bad photos when we had a little more time uh, to complete each project. We'd go through everything, choose the winners, start editing them, and then have a moment to go back and look at it again and be like, hey, how much of this do we really want to keep? And so in the end, you know, if we shoot a thousand photos, hopefully we're only keeping a dozen I mean, that's what that's the way it should be, right? Like, we, right. we don't need and to And a keep... dozen is even a high number, probably, De- actually. Yeah. Dep- depending if it's... Uh, sometimes we'll shoot a thousand to get one. If it's that kind, then a dozen. But if you if it's a wedding, you might shoot a thousand right. to get 500 or whatever. So it depends, your, de- depends on the exact situation. And, and I guess it's what your time's worth, too, because who wants to go spend... Um, uh, an hour or two looking at maybe if there's something there when you've already completed something and sent it off or kept it yeah, what you exactly. want. So that's the thing is all of this you work space on new. is to archive the photos. Most of it's to archive photos I don't care about. And then I'm not going to look at it again. That's what's, it, that's what's taking up all the space. And it's actually a bigger problem with video footage because there's no way to say... Actually, I don't understand this. This should absolutely be a feature where I can create an archive out of Final Cut that says... Throw away everything that... So I'll go back a step. The way I've been editing in Final Cut lately that has been helpful is um, doing a little more rejecting of the terrible parts and favoriting the good parts before I put it in my timeline. So it used to be that I just select the good areas and put them into my sequence, right? So I'm just like, this is nice, and I put it into the video. This is nice, put that in the video. Instead, I'm treating it more like Lightroom, where I go through all the clips and I say, this part's good, this part's bad, then I bring in all the good parts. Um, Why can't I just package it up afterwards and say, re-render all of this, only keeping the good parts, and just don't render all the crap? Because that would get rid of most of everything that I shoot. Because so much of the videos are just like people standing around and the camera shaking and I forgot to stop recording or whatever. B-roll or C-roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Crap roll. Hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted in my struggle to, to store everything that I have without just creating a huge pile of portable 5 terabyte drives. But so far, that's the plan. So, back one step. You never did say, I mean, I know you just recently did a review, but you never really did say why um, that light is your new favorite light, the um, Aperture 2. Well, so the thing I really like, that's, that's very true. Thanks for keeping me honest. The thing I like about the new Aperture is, and okay, first, the things that I already liked about the previous one, the 300 Mark One, a lot of the same stuff applies. That it's very powerful and doesn't take up a lot of power out of your wall. So you can start to light a medium-sized room with it. Uh, if you have two of them, you can start lighting from further away. A lot of the issue with continuous lighting is that you can, you can light a portrait pretty easily of just like a headshot of a person, that amount of light is affordable. You know, like a fluorescent can do it or the little RGB thing that you've got. You can light the upper part of a single person pretty easily. If you need to also light the walls behind them or fill a, a larger room and just like create some kind of ambience or replicate a window or fight 
a window or compete with the sun at all, you need so much more power. And so a killer thing about this is that you can also turn the new one, and the th- now we're moving on to 300 Mark II, you can turn it all the way down to 1%. So all of a sudden it can go, I think that's, l- it, it looks like it's lower than the lowest the 120D could go. Like it can go very, very dim. That That's impressive. Yeah, which is really nice. And you can also adjust how that response curve works so that it, it can be like an S-curve or a logarithmic curve or a linear curve so that the amount it changes per dial turn adjusts oh, to nice. exactly how you want it to. So micro in- increments. Yeah, basically. I haven't, tr- I haven't tried it yet. This instructions tell me that's a feature. So um, it can be that dim. It can be your everything light. You know, like if you had a kit of these, they could do almost everything you want. And and had they did, have they changed anything with the ballast or like the two sort of ballast scenario? <laughs> yeah, that's the, the, that's the best. I didn't, I didn't actually show it to you yet. We're going to look at it after this. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so now it's down to one ballast and it comes with a mount onto the stand so that right. it, it I feels... I think you mentioned that. It feels so intentional. <laughs> like Because before is that the, the there's these two ballasts and... Basically, every powerful light needs this big chunk of metal that is just there to piss you off and uh, make noise. And you hang them off of the light stand or put the second one on the floor because there's two of them. So obnoxious. And you always just kind of accept it as like, well, this is what I got to do. Right. It's a great light. I'm going to deal with the fact that there's three or four power slides attached (laughs) to it. Yeah, exactly. This daisy chain of power things going across the floor. You know, I'd only used one three or four times, but I was always scared that I was, you know, I had to go back and check that I make sure I I had all the cables because obviously they're specific to the light. So I'm the type of person that, you know, can mispack things. And um, I was just constantly checking for the cables within the, within the bags. Yeah. So are they there for the 300? There'd be three cables. For the one light. Now we're down to two. Perfect. And uh, and they are better cables. Like you'll if you just feel them, you can tell they're they're made a lot better. Well, that that automatically is a thirty percent upgrade. Yeah. No, it's uh and uh, the like the look and f- or the the texture of everything is better. Like the robustness of the build quality, you can just feel right. it right well, away. Well, I feel like a cables is a big one too because that's what that's what always makes something feel third party is when you right. get into the power supplies and you're like, oh, okay, well, here I've got this beautiful unit, but um, it's got the same adapter that my blender has well, or whatever. And it, right? It's also standardizing to some cinema stuff, which um, I forget the name of it because I haven't worked with this kind of plug before, but the main plug that goes in the ballast is a standard cinema thing. Oh, perfect. And then the one that goes out of the ballast into the light is an XLR with the with one more pin or whatever but it's like also standard so you can you could just swap it out with something that would be on a set perfectly perfect so so something that might be standard in a grip or someone else might have and so this was a lot of the issue so i because i went to aperture last time we were in la i went to their office and uh got to slightly see a 300d out of the corner of my eye and uh see what they're planning which was pretty cool and um they were talking about that like you know to YouTubers, it feels like Aperture is a revolution because it really does. It feels like, wow, this is like changing what we're able to do. But yeah, so if they want to get on a truck for a cinema production, like a lot of the time they just wouldn't be considered because it wasn't going to hold up to the same beating that an airy light is going right. to. So. And do you, th- do you feel like that standard's changing? It, yeah, I mean, they've for sure moved forward. I don't know. I don't have any lights that are at that very high standard. 
so I don't. Do they do they make anything that's um, that's not like uh, consumer offered? Do you know? Like, do they have two twenty lights that you know that that are that you like can't buy? Yeah. off the website. No, everything's because that is still their big market. Is maybe down the road like indie stuff? Yeah, but they're, <laughs> it's in the R and D. This is their push for it. They're like, we want to get into something a little more serious. So, but uh, but I feel like that's also the ticket too. If they can make this product um, one consumer based but i mean quality enough that uh, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing cinema trucks with 10 of them um that'd be really nice yeah. one one for the company and two for the consumer because it makes it accessible for everybody yeah yeah no for sure and because the sales to a rental house or something i mean that means selling hundreds of them instead of you know one per customer because how many am i ever gonna have i'm gonna have one or two you don't need a fleet of them for normal use okay so now after owning this light for X amount of time. Um, I mean, I, I've always had a problem with the Bowens mount. How, how do you feel about that now after a, a year's worth of uh, worth of use? Well, I never had a problem with the Bowens mount, really, except that it sounds loose all the time. That's the only it, yeah, thing it's, I like. It's, it's a bit jittery. Anytime you shake it, it's like, jigga, jigga, jigga. Why? why? Why can't you tighten this in some way? I right. don't get that, but... Well, it, I mean, I think it has to do with the way it goes in because in order for it to, it, it works off of like a, a snap with a with a bit of an angle on it so that it's always going to catch. So there always has to be that little bit of play so it goes in nicely. Yeah, it is a bit too much play. Is that why you don't? Why don't you like it? Um, that that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, I mean, if if I ever said there was a reason why I like Profoto is because you you clamp that down and it's there and yeah. you know it's not going to fall off. Whereas I think it was. I think it was actually. I think I had a set of Bow, Bowen, like actual Bowen's branded yeah. lights, and that's where it came from. Where, where you know, I was I was snapping all these things, and then one, one something would break off inside, and you, and you couldn't really repair it. So I haven't had any real problems with it. The thing is, it's it's becoming like EF mount that it's just sort of taking over, and I don't really know why it was chosen to take over. Because I, I think it was chosen to take over because what was what's the company not uh, what we just talked like Godox or mm-hmm. what's the other one Yong? Do you know the Chinese brand? It's like Y O N G. Um, no. Anyway, um, Pro carries that as well. Anyway, there's another Asian brand, and and they both adapted that as well as. I mean, I think Ellen Chrome was a Bowen's mount, wasn't it? I mean, I, there's, there's several companies you, that use it. You own some of these that I didn't. Though. You, I've never owned Ellen Chrome. I mean, I used Alien Bees for like a long time. I right. had like six of them. And, and isn't Alien Bees Bowen's mount? Alien Bees is this weird mount. I don't know if it's used <laughs> by anything else. It, it's not as good. It's like as pinchy. It's not very good. Well, I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, it's nice that there is standardization. Whether I agree with that mount or not. At it, least we picked something. Yeah, somebody picked something and it works. And it's, and it's worked for a long time and probably will work for a long time still. What's the next thing you're going to buy? Ooh, uh, well, I mean, uh, probably an aperture light based on the, based <laughs> yeah. on this conversation. After all this. I can't say that there's a definite thing that I need. There's like a definite, like I'm, you know, when we talk about shopping carts at B&H, I also have one that's <laughs> that's had some stuff in it for a long time. Of course, there's always going to be some sort of medium format camera in there and some sort of really expensive grip thing that I just don't need, but I want because mm. I've seen it and Someday it's pretty. Yeah, exactly. But um, actually, nano clamps. I really like the Manfrotto nano clamps. And ever since getting some smaller lights, um, I found them more versatile in so many ways. It's basically like a small super clamp, um, machined and very, very precise and and small. Uh, and so the more 
I try and fit everything into a backpack, the more I want everything to fit into a backpack so that um, if I'm going to take an extra bag, it's going to carry a lot and not just one or two things. I mean, I, I think I've got a dozen super clamps and I mean, I'm not going to take those all 12 to one place anymore. That'll never happen again. Yeah, and it can handle a decent amount of the weight of a super clamp. Because I've only used this, it was the monitor mount for the Ronin that I rented. So I've, I've seen it. It's small. It seems yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah, So I use it for the like either the small lights. It'll hold a, a small flag. Actually, it'll hold a reflector too if you need it to. I mean, with a clamp on the other end. I mean, it's great. Cool. And, and they fit in your pocket. I mean, you... Uh, yeah, yesterday when I worked, I, ha- I had a light in my pocket and um, I would turn it off and just slide it back into my back pocket. And um, What times do we live in? Yeah. I'm going to recommend something non-photography related right now because I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm in the middle of a fantasy book series, which I haven't read any fiction for a long time. Okay. But I'm halfway through Mistborn, which is random set of fantasy <laughs> books nice and uh i'm really into it so i don't know if anybody's looking for uh something to get into <laughs> what, what what sort of fantasy are we talking about here there's no dragons but the the magic is like it feels sort of tangible and uh, real ish based uh, that all involves being able to interact with the metal around you hmm. like imagine if everybody's magneto interesting yeah this is a this is a great way to end the show but thanks for coming on jason yeah thanks for having me Thank you.